0: Welcome to The Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar, author of The Mystery of History, a world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for new and returning homeschool parents seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration from a biblical worldview. And now, your hostess, Linda LaCour Hobar. Hello, and welcome to The Mystery of Home Education. Today's podcast is Mary and Martha Decide to Homeschool Part 2. Now, if you didn't listen to Part 1 yet, well, you really may want to do that before you continue here. Because in Part 1, we first covered the scripture that gives us the heart of these New Testament sisters. Second, we applied that to what we think these ladies would look like in a homeschool environment. And third, and probably the most fun, I offered a quiz that was to help you determine if you are a Martha or a Mary. Now, it's not a very scientific quiz, I confess, but it was based off of a real Mary and Martha, a.k.a. me and my mom. Now, if you're still listening, let's assume that you have a score on your quiz and you know you're leaning. And if you favor being a Mary, like you were somewhere in the negatives on that quiz— Well, I have some survival tips to share with you that ought to help you around the house, in the classroom, and at the foot of the cross. Now, if you're the Martha type, because that's what your quiz said, well, you may have already thought of all these tips and hardly need my guidance, but maybe you can pick up something to help your Mary friends who need your support. Let's dive in, starting with my survival tips for Mary around the house. So number one, I want to encourage my merry friends, do get dressed as early in the day as humanly possible. Now, it may be just yoga pants, but hey, it's a step up from flannel PJs and a robe. And the truth is, we all need to be decent. And we know what that means if you're a woman. It's just get those girls in order, you know, get them dressed and you'll be decent and you'll be glad that you are. You never know what the day holds. Number 2, I want to encourage you to play hymns almost all day long. Now, if you're trying to read something, we'll play hymns without words, but when you can, play hymns with words. I say that because Mary really needs to nourish her soul. Mary, you naturally are quite drained, and I can just testify that when I'm on empty, hymns help me quite a bit. So play them. Number 3, I recommend you delegate chores. That's because you're relational. And so I want you to use that to your advantage. And I want you to recruit help. And I really do mean with your kids, most of all. Honestly, there was times I had to admit to my kids, my weaknesses as a Mary, to kind of recruit them, you know, to be like, hey, kids, I need your help. Let's all do this together. And I want to point this out. If you have Martha-oriented children, well, you know, those are the kids you can hand a list to, and they might do it or give them check boxes. But if you have merry-hearted children, please try not to give them lists to fill out to do their chores, but whisper in their little ears one thing they can do, and then when they return back to you, be sure and give them a lot of praise. So know your children. Recruit them properly. Number four. I highly recommend that you think about your week based on weekly duties rather than daily. And here's why. Think again of the fact that Mary is very drained by routine. In fact, I know for me, it kind of stifles me. I mean, there's just a rebellion in my heart if you tell me to do the same thing every day at eight and then nine and then 10. Like, I just don't really work that way. It's way too confining for me. But I did find to get things accomplished, that if I did the same thing every Monday, and then the same things every Tuesday, and the same things every Wednesday, and so on, eventually I got all my responsibilities taken care of. Here's just an example of how I lived out most of the days I was homeschooling. So on Mondays, once school was done, that's when I would turn to paperwork. I hate Mondays anyway, so go ahead, give me paperwork, maybe some bills to pay, some calls to make. Basically, I stayed home. Where Tuesdays, that's when I usually went out to buy groceries and tack on a couple of extra errands. And I mean, I'm pretty faithful about that Tuesday thing when it came to groceries. I really tried to only go to the grocery store one day a week. It kind of forced me to menu plan. So it was good for our budget, too. You know, you can stock up on staples and fresh food. It will last a whole week. On Wednesdays, I personally gravitated toward laundry and baking on that day because both were close to the kitchen, so I was at home. And on Thursday, Thursday was always my personal project day, because think about it, if I had paperwork to do or bills to pay, well, I already did that on Monday. And on Tuesday, I took care of errands, and on Wednesday, I at least started the laundry and did some baking, so on Thursday, I could reward myself with something a bit more personal, Whatever that project was, maybe I'm in a wallpaper or something, maybe I have a church project going on, whatever, but that was my reward day. And then on Fridays, after school, that's when we cleaned and I recruited the kids to help. They really weren't allowed to go play until our cleaning was done on Fridays. I just liked entering the weekend with a nice shiny home. By the way, let me add a little thought here. Your house is probably dirtier than the neighbor's house who is not homeschooling. Because you have your kids home at least 30 to 40 more hours a week. Oh, that's maybe 1,080 more hours a year. Not that anyone is counting, but I just wanted to point that out. So yes, our homes need us. Okay, so that was just a few things for around the house. But let's turn to the hmm, more valid conversation, which is about some survival tips for the classroom. So here we go. Number one, you could host an in-service day once a month. Here's what I mean. You know, the public school system always had these mysterious in-service days where we know maybe the teachers were getting caught up on things at school, but they weren't with their students. Well, in kind of a similar way, one day a month, usually the first day of each month, I called it an in-service day where the children and I were involved around the house doing stuff, but we didn't open the school books. We counted it for school because we were deep cleaning or working on a project for a holiday. Maybe we we're going through closets. Now, I have to confess, after doing this a couple of years, there was times my children would probably rather have done algebra than have an in-service day because they knew eventually we'd get to the closets and their drawers, and it's a lot of work to deep clean that stuff. But I, as their mother, was so glad I had these days built in because you just lose time. So, Counted as home economics in service days. Number two, I highly recommend for Mary's that you post a lunch menu on your refrigerator that it's written in Sharpie and you stick to it. What I discovered was that after schooling in the mornings, which is when we usually carved out our real sit-down work, I was pretty drained by the time lunch rolled around. And the last thing I needed was my kids grumbling or whining about whether or not it's grilled cheese or this or that, I just, I didn't like them making me a short order cook. Now I know large families have already figured this out, and they probably have menu plans. But think about it for you for lunch, even if you just have a couple of kids, it just cuts down the burden on the brain about what's for lunch. Post it, follow it. Number three, along similar lines, I discovered I needed a cutoff time for school. You see. Sometimes your kids will dawdle. Sometimes your kids will waste time. That's expected, but I don't like them wasting my time. So what I learned was that maybe my dawdler had some extra work to do later in the day, but I wasn't going back to school because they had wasted my time or their time. No, I cut my kids off about two o'clock in the afternoon. Now in the morning, again, we'd get a lot of our subjects done. We'd break for lunch. And when they're older, we're going back for maybe a subject or two after lunch. But by 2 p.m., Mm. mama was done. It was time for me to check out. One way I looked at this was that there's several callings on my life. Homeschooling was only one of them. So I needed my days after two to attend to some of those other callings. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're working part-time. So I had a off time for my kids. They were not allowed to drag me back into school hours, you know, in the afternoon or at night. They might have work to do, but not me. Number four. As good as some co-ops and clubs are, I just want to remind you, choose them wisely. Choose them wisely because there's a lot of good out there, but too much of the good could crowd out the best. Homeschooling still works best at home, so be careful how many times you're loading up your crew and leaving your home to be with others. Just be selective. Number five, I highly recommend that you keep your lesson plans date free. Here's what I mean. If you picture the typical lesson planner, you open a notebook and there's columns, and typically the columns would have a date at the top. Well, <laughs> I discovered first, I didn't even do lesson plans for several years because I'm a Mary. I believe my oldest was in 5th grade when she started making her own lesson plans and I realized we needed some of these. So I got myself together and started making them. And the first ones I made all had these dates that I'm talking about at the tops of these columns. Well, I quickly learned that that was a hard way to live. It left us no room to breathe. It left us no flexibility. It completely stressed us out if something came up. Or let's say one child is sick, but the other ones aren't. Or a field trip popped up that I hadn't thought of. Well, what am I going to do about these days of the week? So, as a stroke of genius, one day I took some white out. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. I'm not sure if they sell it anymore, but it's this white paint stuff. So, I took white out and I whited out the dates that were in my lesson planner, and I had a whole new vision for what I was up to. I realized that lesson plans could provide me train tracks to run on, but I was not bound. It allowed our family to take a day off here or there when there was opportunity, something to go do that was more important. Maybe it's a snow day, because you know, homeschoolers don't really get snow days, but we lived in Ohio. We needed a few of those. So anyway, don't date your lesson plans. Too confining. Let's move on. Number six, I recommend that Marys Have prayer partners for those crisis situations because it is hard on your soul. You're pouring a lot into your children. I had a neighbor. Oh, and she was like a dear friend. Her name was Wendy. She lived catty corner from me. And she was homeschooling a bunch and I had mine. And sometimes we met in the middle of the street just to say, hey, would you pray for me right now? Because we each had our bad days. And we needed to remind each other sometimes just why we were homeschooling. So Mary, I hope you find that person pray for her. Number seven. This is my last one for in the classroom. But I do want to say you might want ahead of time to have a plan for meltdowns don't let them sneak up on you. Now, let's define meltdowns because there's actually two kinds. So the first is a minor meltdown. These aren't so bad. Minor meltdowns really reflect hmm, just the normal stress of life where your children are exasperated or frustrated. Maybe they're cold or tired or hungry and they're pouty. Well, the truth is minor meltdowns are usually consolable. You and your adult wisdom, you can turn to that child and give them a little snack before lunch, give them a hoodie if they're cold, whatever. You just help them manage their stress. As a matter of fact, you want to be doing this regularly. You want to be a good role model to them how to patiently, you know, just get to the next thing. But there's a whole nother set of meltdowns. I'll call these major meltdowns. They don't follow the same rules as a minor meltdown. As a matter of fact, I would call a child in a major meltdown, they are Inconsolable. You can't console them with the normal stuff. It just doesn't work. Seems to backfire. In fact, the more you cheerlead the child in the major meltdown, sometimes the worse they get. Have you ever been through that? Very discouraging to say the least. But these are the children who have grown completely irrational. As a matter of fact, to help you decide if you're in a minor or major meltdown, just look at their posture. If this child is upright on their own two feet or able to sit in a chair, well maybe it's minor, and you can still console them. But if this child is now horizontal on the floor or on the bed, kind of in a tantrum position, well, you may have a major meltdown on your hand. So think ahead of time what you'll do if you see your child devolve into this type behavior because the truth is you kind of have two decisions to make. you have two choices when a child has reached that level of complete unravel. Well, you may choose to deal immediately with that situation, and maybe that's the best thing to do. Perhaps you isolate that child. That's usually helpful. Pull them aside. Talk to them. It's Christian Parenting 101. You're going to talk about the selfishness going on, their self-absorption. Maybe just dry some tears. Give them that pep talk, because you do love them. You have to love them in these meltdowns. But honestly, if you always respond in the immediate to a major meltdown, well, the chances are you might be getting played. This child may be manipulating you, realizing that if they could just throw a fit right before you have to go here or there, you know, they think they're going to get something out of this. So maybe instead of dealing with it immediately, perhaps you intervene and on their behalf, you're like, honey. I see you're really upset, but you know what we really need to go to, and then just fill in the blank. And at that point, you help them get on their jacket, you wipe their tears, you help them put on their shoes, you put them in the vehicle, and you go forward. But you promise to return to the situation to talk about what was the source of that major meltdown. And when you promise to talk about it, don't forget about it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Here's Christian Parenting 201, Where you go back and when things have calmed down, you do talk about the narcissism in their hearts, how they probably wish they could control their lives, but they probably need to yield some things to the Lord. So think ahead of time about meltdowns so you're not completely knocked off your shoes by them. Well, the last survival tip area that I have to give you is at the foot of the cross. And fortunately, I don't need to tell Mary how to stay at the foot of the cross. She goes there on her own, often, because she desperately needs the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Christ. But I do have a few things I'll share about just how I managed my spiritual life as a Mary. There are just a couple here. Number one, I learned somewhere along the way, it was best if I had a portable, quiet time bag. You know, something like a backpack or some type of a book bag where I could put my Bibles and my journals, my pens, a box of tissues because Mary cries a lot. And I just put it all in one place. And the reason I needed it portable is that Mary is greatly influenced by her emotions and feelings, and so she likes to move around. One day she needs to be by the sunny window. Another day she needs to be outside. Another day she wants to hear the rain fall softly. So pay attention to your feelings and have your quiet time ready to go wherever you want to take it. Number two, I have learned as a Mary that I just can't, I just can't get through those scheduled Bible reading plans. You know, the ones that say you can read through the Bible in a year. Well, I wish I could. But I only set myself up for failure when I try to follow someone else's plan. No, it's far best if I trust the Lord to lead my heart and I will read volumes of the Bible throughout the year. But I need to follow my heart, not someone else's grid with a bunch of check boxes to fill. I don't think those are designed for Mary's. And I want to say also number three, Mary, it's likely you really need accountability in your life because of that runaway heart of yours. At least I know I have needed accountability. So when I haven't had it, I have prayed for it. One time the Lord sent me these three friends at one time who, the three of them all were nearly six feet tall, which I'm only 4'11", and so it was very funny because these not only became my accountability partners, but they were like bodyguards to me. They were just these big, tall, powerful women, and God answered prayer through them. Number four, about the spiritual life of a Mary, I want to say, when all else fails, maybe you're at the the bottom of something again, just stay at the feet of Jesus. And remember, she wiped his feet with her hair and with her tears. Remember that Mary didn't consider the cost of that perfume. Mm. She set aside all practicality, reason. She set aside thoughts of the future just to be in the moment with her Lord. So just do that. And Jesus loved her for it. As a matter of fact, he said in the gospel of Mark that wherever the gospel would be preached, her devotion would be remembered. That touches me a lot. It just makes me realize he sees, he cares, he knows. He is a God that's tender hearted. And he embraced this woman who had a fragile, easily broken heart. Well, last on my list, if you're a Mary, stay a Mary. Because for some reason, God has given you a Mary heart to love on this hurting world. You're good at it, so do it and do it well. I don't think God wastes the hearts of Mary's. I think he just looks for her broken heart. And I think he treasures it. And if your Martha will stay a Martha and use your gifts of service and strong faith, Jesus trusted Martha with powerful doctrine for a reason. Now, a second word to Martha. I love the Marthas that God put into my life because many of them have helped prod me along at times. But please don't try to fix Mary. She's not really fixable, at least not by the list that you want to make out for her. She will, however, deeply appreciate your support and your love for her. Now, (laughs) I just want to insert this. I think some of you may be worried. You're listening to these last two podcasts and thinking, hmm, isn't this the lady that wrote The Mystery of History? She sounds a little bit like a mess. Well, you have every right to worry by how I've described myself, but think of it this way if you know my history lessons at all, you know that my heart, Bleeds on the pages that I wrote, I feel history, and I firmly believe that somehow the Lord used that characteristic in me, though it's faulty. He used it, and so I want you two to find a way for the Lord to use your heart. Now if you enjoyed this presentation, I'd love to hear from you somehow. You could probably reach me on Facebook at Linda LeCour Hobar or at the Mystery of History, because this Mary Like most Marys, I need the reassurance. I'd love to hear from you. But do be careful if you're a Mary when it comes to Facebook. You know, there's a lot of drama there that certainly could suck us in. So have a few healthy boundaries. Now, thank you so much for joining me for the Mystery of Home Education. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobart. For more information on Linda's award-winning history program, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological, Christian, complete world history for all ages.